This tape by Lance Lambert in the series Life in the Local Church is the first of two tapes entitled Spiritual Gifts in Corporate Youth. Would the listener please be aware that for the first 15 to 20 seconds of this tape, the volume on the master tape machine was set at high, so the volume is extremely high for the first 15 to 20 seconds. Thank you. May we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. but the same Spirit, and there are diversities of ministrations and the same Lord, and there are diversities of workings, but the same God who worketh all things in all. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit to profit with all. For to one is given through the Spirit the word of wisdom, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith in the same spirit, and to another gift of healing in the one spirit, and to another workings of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another discernings of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh the one and the same Spirit, dividing to each one severally as he will. And then we're going to read the 14th chapter from verse 1 to verse uh, 33. And I am going to read this in Professor Bruce's paraphrase, expanded paraphrase. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from verse 1. Make love your chief aim. As for spiritual gifts, cultivate them diligently, but especially the gift of prophecy. If a man speaks in a tongue, it is to God that he speaks, not to his fellow men. No one understands what he says. The things that he utters by inspiration are mysteries. But when a man prophesies, what he says brings spiritual profit to the others and ministers encouragement and comfort to them. When a man speaks in a tongue, what he says brings spiritual profit to himself alone. When he prophesies, the whole church reaps the benefit. Oh yes, I should like you all to speak with tongues, but I should much prefer you all to have the gift of prophecy. The man who prophesies is more helpful than the man who speaks with tongues unless the tongues are interpreted for the benefit of the church. Now, my brothers, just consider. If I come to you and speak with tongues, what good shall I do you if I give you no clear message by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or instruction? It is the same with lifeless musical instruments like a flute or a lyre. If they give no distinct note... How can one tell what is being sounded on the flute or lyre? If an indistinct note is sounded on the trumpet, who will get ready to fight? In the same way, if your tongue does not pronounce intelligible words, how can anyone know what is being said? You will simply be speaking to empty air. There are ever so many kinds of sound in the world, each with its own note, But if I do not know the meaning of the sound, I shall be a foreigner to the man who is speaking, and he will be a foreigner to me. So in your case, since you are so eager to cultivate spiritual gifts, make it your aim to abound in those that will promote the well-being of the church. The man who speaks with a tongue, therefore, must pray for the ability to interpret it. If I pray in a strange tongue, my spirit engages in prayer, but my intelligence reaps no advantage from it. What is the proper course then? I will pray with my spirit indeed, but with my intelligence as well. I will sing praises with my spirit, but with my intelligence as well. If you bless God in a strange tongue, how can someone who is, as it were, an uninitiated outsider say amen 
at the conclusion of your thanksgiving. He doesn't know what you're speaking about. There's nothing wrong with your thanksgiving, but it doesn't help the other man. Thank God I can speak with tongues more than any one of you, but in the church I'd sooner utter five intelligible words so as to convey some instruction to others than 10,000 words in a strange tongue. My brothers, do not remain content with the intelligence of little children. Be as innocent as infants indeed, so far as wickedness is concerned, but be full-grown men in your intelligence. There is an Old Testament text which says, by men of different tongues, by the lips of foreigners, well, I speak to this nation, and not even so will they listen to me, says the Lord. So then these tongues are a sign given by God for unbelievers, for those who refuse to listen to him, and not for believers. Prophecy, on the other hand, is for believers, not for unbelievers. If the whole church meets together and everyone speaks with tongues, and outsiders or people who are not believers come in, will they not say you are mad? But if everyone is prophesying and an unbeliever or an outsider comes in, he feels himself convicted by all, exposed to the scrutiny of all, as the secrets of his heart are brought into the open. He will fall down on his face and worship God, declaring that God is truly in your midst. Well, my brothers, what does all this lead up to? When you come together, everyone has some contribution he wants to make. One man has a psalm, someone else has a piece of teaching to pass on, another has a revelation, another an utterance in a tongue, and yet another an interpretation of such an utterance. See to it that everything is done in such a way as to benefit the church. That is to say, if there is to be speaking with tongues, let it be done by two or at the most three each in his turn, and then let one person give an interpretation. If no interpreter be present, then let the man who has the gift of tongues keep quiet in church, speaking only to himself and to God. As for the prophets, let two or three of them speak, while the rest exercise their gift of discernment. If a revelation is granted to someone else as he sits listening, he should not give utterance to it until the first stops speaking. For all of you may prophesy one by one, so that all may receive instruction and encouragement. The prophet's inspiration is under the prophet's control, for God is a God of peace and not of disorder. I am dealing this evening with basically the place and use of spiritual gifts in the life and gatherings of the church. I'm not dealing so much with the origin of the gifts uh, and so on, so much as the actual use in the life and gatherings of the church. Now, if you understand that, you'll understand uh, our approach uh, this evening to this. However, we've got uh, quite a number of uh, very good questions indeed, and I'm hoping that we're going to get there uh, to answer the questions uh, in which uh, some of the other things that no doubt are on your heart we trust, will get answered. Now let's go straight away, and if you'll help by trying to look as if you're awake, um, <laughs> it will help me very much. Um, now, what are we really talking about this evening? We're talking about the manifestation of the Spirit given to each one for the overall profit. That is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. The um, manifestation of uh, the Spirit given to each one for uh, the overall prophet. Now, this is how the New American Standard Bible puts it, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good, to profit with all. That is, to each member of the body of Christ to each one in the local expression of the church of God, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now that immediately clears up some of our difficulties, for it means there is no spiritual elite. Um, this manifestation of the Spirit is given to all for given to all for all that's one point and what we are talking about is this the place and 
the place, as it were, and the use of spiritual gifts in the life and gatherings of the church. Now, first of all, the place of spiritual gifts in the gatherings of the church. Um, straight away, we must ask ourselves a question. What does charismatic mean? What does charismatic mean? It's a Greek word, charisma, and we have taken it over into English, charismatic. Nowadays, it's interesting, you read of personalities being charismatic in newspapers. For instance, NASA, we often hear described as a charismatic personality. Um, that is another way to what the, the way Scripture really uses it. The Greek word simply means something granted as a favor, or a kindness, or a gracious favor. Now, get this clear, because it, uh, we'll look at now a number of scriptures straight away. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm not going to give you all the occurrences of this word, charisma, um, in uh, the New Testament. But uh, where do we get the word charismatic from? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts. Charisma. There are diversities of, um, what shall we say, uh, gracious favors, <laughs> gracious gifts. Um, uh, how can we really put it? Gifts of grace, another way, yes, possibly. Um, there are diversities of these things which are granted to us by God as a favor. Now, um, look at verse 9. We have the same thing again. To another, gifts of healings. There's the same word. Gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. Uh, again, it's the word charisma. Or again, verse um, 31 but desire earnestly the greater gifts, charisma, these um, uh, gifts of grace. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Neglect not the gift which is in thee. Neglect not the charisma which is in thee, which is um, uh, given thee by prophecy. Uh, or again, uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6. For which cause I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. This charisma of God which is in thee. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 10. According as each hath received a gift, ministering it among yourselves as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, as each one hath received a gift. Now, may I just make this quite clear, that there are a number of different Greek words used, translated by the English word gift. Quite a number. Uh, here we are just looking at the ones translated gift, which uh, uh, from this word charisma, from which we get the, our English word charismatic. Now, turn back to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, but the word gifts is not here. It's really now concerning spirituals. It would have been very, very interesting if instead of being called charismatic, uh, we had been called spirituals, pneumatic then we would have been rather uh, amusing if we'd all been called pneumatical companies or pneumatics. Um, but that's really, the, it's just spirituals, spirituals. Or again, uh, um, in chapter 14 and verse 1, follow after love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But the word gifts is not there, just spirituals. Spirituals. <laughs> So now we bring these things together, you see. Um, but just wait. It has a much wider meaning, and this is the, a problem with our dear friends. Uh, it has a much wider meaning 
than just to be tied down to these gifts of the Spirit in this way. For instance, if you will just turn to three instances, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the charisma of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we've got a problem. The charisma of God. So evidently we could say that people who've got eternal life are charismatic. If we're going to be absolutely biblical. They're charismatic too. Now, uh, and let's have another, give you another little problem. Romans 5, verse 15 and 16. Here we've got it again. For if by, but not as the trespass, so also is the free gift, so is the charisma. But if by the trespass of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift, that's another word, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound unto the many, and not as through one that sinned, so is the gift, for the, that's another word, for the judgment came of one unto condemnation, but the free gift, the free gift came of many trespasses unto justification. The charisma came of many uh, uh, trespasses uh, unto justification. Now we've got a problem. <laughs> Not quite so simple as some think, perhaps. Uh, here's another uh, one now I'll give you uh, as well. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Ye also helping together on our behalf by your supplication, that for the gift bestowed upon us by means of many Thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. Now this gift bestowed upon us by the many is a charisma. And this gift is a financial gift. And he talks all about it in chapter 8 and chapter 9. <laughs> so now we've got this word charismatic. Uh, it means something granted as a favour. Uh, a kindness. A gracious favour. A gift of grace. Of course, eternal life is a gift of grace. In that sense, every Christian is charismatic. So settle that here and now. When people say to you, oh, you're not charismatic, you just turn around saying, so are you. <laughs> and if they get funny, give them the scripture. Everyone is charismatic in that sense. But there is something more than that. It's quite clear that what Paul calls spirituals is what now many people call uh, charismatic. Uh, further gifts of grace. We might almost say these gifts of grace are produced, are within and produced by the life of Christ. They are really within the life of Christ and it is the Holy Spirit who comes and when he releases the power of that life and the fullness of that life, then the gifts start to come out into the open. Anyway, uh, that's the first thing we've got to say. Now, the second thing on the place of gifts in the gatherings of the church. Are these gifts of the Spirit, this manifestation of the Spirit, for today? Are they for today? Now, there are uh, segments, uh, whole sections of God's people who are quite dogmatic on this point. They say these gifts, this manifestation of the Spirit in uh, uh, the way we find it in 1 Corinthians 14 is definitely not for today. But now we have to ask ourselves one or two things. Do we really believe that a large part of 1 Corinthians 12, the whole of 1 Corinthians 14, have really virtually no meaning in the 20th century. Indeed, have had very little meaning from uh, uh, the end of the 1st century till the 20th century. It seems incredible to me that the Lord, who is so marvellous in his use of space and the amount he gets into it, should have wasted so many words on something which died out in the first century, never to reappear again. Furthermore, I can't quite understand why we have 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, despise not prophesyings, if there is no such thing. I don't quite understand what it means, 1 John uh, uh, 4, 1, and that whole passage about trying every uh, spirit that comes. 
because many false prophets have gone into the world. I mean, of course, people will argue, yes, but this isn't fair. We deduct great lessons from these things, but the actual details are gone. And they point us to the scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 13 and uh, in verse uh, 8. Love never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall be done away. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall be done away. Um, and they say, now please note that it says prophecies shall be done away. Tongues shall cease. But it also says knowledge shall be done away. Do they, are they going to tell us then, these people who say that these things have ceased, that knowledge also has ceased? But this is the very emphasis that they make. That knowledge continues, and all those gifts for instruction, but not these others. I don't think it's correct, biblical, exegesis at all. Um... For instance, verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I become a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. It's quite clear that the Apostle is speaking about the end when we see him face to face. No more need of prophecy then. No more need of tongues in that sense then. We shall be in his presence, and these things will have seen. So um, I, I, I can't uh, see it. All agree, and this is where I think the whole thing collapses, all agree that faith, the gift of faith, uh, is operative in the 20th century. How then do you take some things uh, and say these are operative and other things are not operative? It doesn't, in my estimation, hold water. Furthermore, we have the evidence of church history. These gifts, and here I want to be emphatic, these gifts have in fact never disappeared in the history of the church. They have never disappeared. It is totally wrong of Pentecostals to say that this is a new thing which God brought in in this city. Absolutely wrong. And now the more uh, qualified amongst Pentecostal teachers and scholars are beginning to say that this is not true. What has happened has been that in this century there's been a wide, much wider spread understanding of the matter. The thing has travelled over the whole globe. But from the very beginning, from the days of Pentecost, these gifts have never disappeared. I cannot be more emphatic in this matter. The Montanists prophesied. They spoke in tongues. They had interpretations. They were declared to be heretics by one section of the church. The Paulicians spoke in tongues, had prophecies and new healing. The Bogomils had tongues, spoke, in, 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 had interpretation, had prophecies amongst themselves. The Albigenses, who were absolutely destroyed by the Roman Catholic Church as the most vile of heretics, were, uh, uh, knew all these things. Well, you all know, of course, that the Anabaptists uh, uh, had this, and this was the thing that uh, some of the Calvinists got so hot under the collar about. Uh, and no doubt there were excesses and extremes. Uh, but we all know that the Anabaptists uh, 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 did have this. Huguenots had this. You. I'm sure I've heard of the prophets of Seven and the others in the days of the Huguenot uh, 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 revival. Everywhere in church history, this has happened. Of course, now in our own church history, uh, in this country, we know, for instance, that the Quakers, uh, they had very much experience of uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and early Methodists, too, um, you read uh, Wesley's journals, you'll find that in some of the meetings they didn't quite know what to do uh, at the very beginning. And it became quite a problem to them. And unfortunately, nearly took over in a wrong way uh, so that they had to stop it. But you see, this is reappeared. This isn't something new. And as for this century, what about the Irvingites? I know they had some weird ideas and did some strange things, and we've still got some of their odd ideas uh, in the great monumental churches that have been built, church buildings that have been built, which no one's allowed to use because there isn't an apostle. 
the apostles had died out, you see. They had some idea about the apostles. And so, but there's no doubt about them being people of God. And in the middle of the last century, they knew all this. No, it has never died out. Came in again, the Welsh Revival, the Scandinavian Revival, um, rather stereotyped. And now in more recent years, there's been a thing far bigger than the Pentecostal uh, uh, revival, uh, which has simply gone over the whole world. Now, therefore, uh, it is quite, it is nonsensical in my estimation to say that these things have ceased. If they have ceased, then these people must indeed all be heretics. Or they must be subject to satanic interference. There's no other way out, is there? I mean, if something's ceased and it's not of God, it must be of the devil. So uh, we have a problem. Now here is another point. The church is essentially a spiritual and heavenly community. It is naturally and inexplicable. The great tragedy of church history is that they have brought down what God has done onto earth and made it into a human organization. And then the thing's crystallized, it's died, it's become just a set of regulations, uh, in an institutional thing. But the church of God is, a, is essentially a heavenly spiritual organism, a heavenly spiritual community. And every time there is an expression of the church, however small in church history, the thing that starts to come through is its essential, essentially heavenly and spiritual nature, its inexplicable nature. Now, I'm not talking about gifts, merely. I'm talking about its government. Look at these people. Who governs them? Who tells them what to do? It's from heaven. They hear a voice in heaven. They hear the voice of their Lord, and they obey the voice of their Lord. They go to the ends of the earth. They do this, they do that, they do that. What other group in the whole world is governed in this way? What other group get on their knees and pray to some unseen person? <laughs> Someone who is in seated at the right hand of God the Father, that cannot be seen, and who see answers to their prayer and do mighty exploits in the name of their risen head. It's an inexplicable community. It is therefore in this connection that we have these divine resources, spiritual gifts. It is to help us do the job that our risen head has given us to do. It is to to, to build the church. It is to advance the purpose of God. And these gifts are holy within, keep, holy in keeping with the nature of the heavenly and spiritual organism into which we have been saved. Now, I hope that's not too complex for you. But the fact of the matter is this, that every time in church history, in large or small numbers, when there has been an expression of that church on earth, these gifts have reappeared. And there may have been much that was excessive and much that was extreme and much that was unbalanced, but when these things have been understood, there's been some uh, revival. Now, of course, immediately, someone's going to say to me, what about the brethren? Greatest movement in connection with the church that there's been. I'll come to that a bit later. Well, I've got something to say in connection uh, with, uh, with this. Um, so therefore, um, we can say that uh, these uh, gifts um, are really the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the building up of the church. They are not for display, they are not for exhibitionism, they are not for occultism, they are not for an unhealthy interest in the supernatural uh, or sensational. And that's what it has become in a number of quarters. We have to confess this with shame and sorrow. But these gifts have never been given to sort of uh, fascinate 
people who've got an unhealthy interest in emotional, sensational things. They are the expression of our risen, glorified head. The expression of the risen, glorified head through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in their widest and most general sense, and in their most particular, specific sense, such gifts, such manifestation of the Spirit, must have a place in the church. I do hope everyone is convinced. Since it is to do with the Spirit of God, to do with life in Christ, eternal life, the grace of God, the, this manifestation of the Spirit is often known in companies and places where there is real spiritual life, even where there is little understanding of these things. Now, I take issue with people who tell me that these gifts don't operate anywhere but in certain companies. It's nonsense. It is absolute. Read the history of the Brethren movement. And you will find that some of these manifestations, the manifestation of the Spirit, you will find right at the heart of that movement. You take George Muller with the gift of faith. Where did it come from? What is his gift of faith? Was it something natural? Was he superstitious? Was he credulous? Of course he wasn't. Where did those words of wisdom and knowledge come with which they understood things in their early days and moved ahead? Where did those anointed ministries come with which that whole movement was launched upon the world by the risen head? All came from the Spirit of God. It was the manifestation of the Spirit. Um, there's no doubt about this. Uh, for instance, take it in its widest. Now I'm talking about its widest sense, these gifts. Take prophetic ministry. Real prophets, not just men who, who preach but real prophets, men who bring a word from God to a given situation, men who apply uh, the principles in God's word to a particular time and to a particular conditions, that's prophetic. It's a manifestation of the Spirit in its widest sense. There are many other uh, great things um, uh, uh, utterance in uh, wisdom and knowledge we'll come to it in a moment more in its wider sense wider sense as teaching now in the highest form of this manifestation of the spirit is in teaching ministries which are knowledge not knowledge gained in a bible college but knowledge which has been given by spiritual insight by the spirit of God and is a manifestation of the spirit And wisdom, the application of the knowledge. Now, our own experience is quite interesting in this matter. <clears throat> we, were, we would have died a million deaths if someone, anyone had called us charismatic in the earlier days. And uh, due to some very unfortunate experience with Pentecostals, we were thoroughly put off the whole lot. Wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. Um, in the early days and, and indeed I suppose that generally speaking we took the line that these things had more or less gone out although I will say this that from the very beginning we never forbade these things there were people amongst us who spoke in tongues and so on but from our very beginning we knew the operation of these gifts without even knowing it and this is where much much um, trouble much uh, misunderstanding has arisen by people who insist that these things cannot uh, 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 operate anywhere but in certain groups. For instance, take just this house. If, I, if we were to take the whole evening, I could take you through some of our old diaries downstairs and show you the times of prayer we had going right back to 1951 and the times God spoke to us, not once, but two or three times in public through two, three different people reading scriptures. Now, these scriptures were sometimes completely out of context. But the extraordinary thing was that the Spirit of God used them to direct us and confirm us in doing, in taking a certain action. For instance, take this house. 
We all we knew when we thought I, I think Eileen, you were with us in those days. You can act as witness here. When we sought the Lord about this, right at the beginning, we were at the community centre. Where were we? We were meeting in the photographic room. The Royal Richmond and Twickenham Photographic Society. When we met in that room, we had to go down to the basement, along to the end, and up the windy staircase to the top room, and then we had to turn pictures to the wall, some of them, before we could meet decently uh, in, in the room. Now, we felt that we ought to get out of that. What did God say? There were two or three things God said to us. By two words re re read in times of prayer, while we were seeking God, God said, you shall not move out of their sight. Now, the people who read these two scriptures from, um, I think it's uh, uh, somewhere in Jeremiah or Ezekiel, I can't quite remember, um, they had never read them before. Yet they both had that scripture wrong. That was the first thing. Never move out of their sight. Now, this meant the group that I particularly had come out of, and so we were not to move out of their sight. We were within. We, we, were, we were in seeing distance at the community centre. When we went to George Street, from the room, the top room, we could see their roof. And we can still see their roof from this house. Isn't that extraordinary? I'll take that out of context, but isn't it extraordinary? Now, here was another script. Three different people had the scripture about the Lord would give us a house upon the hill to which all nations would come. Oh, of course, we spiritualized it and understood it to be just spiritual traffic you know, in the heavenlies, in the unseen. And, but we looked everywhere for this house on the hill. I can't tell you the houses we went for in different places, but we looked everywhere. But we knew, all of us, that it was a house on the hill. Now, this house is on the hill. It's on the bottom part of the hill. But if you go up the garden, <laughs> you walk down, you will see that it's on the hill. It's on the hill. God exactly fulfilled his word. Not out of their sight, and the house on the hill. It's not any other part of Richmond, which... Strangely enough, was what we went for. The house over on Richmond Green. And that's how we came to this one. But that's another story. Now, you see, what were those readings of scriptures? They were prophetic. We didn't understand prophecy. But we knew God was speaking to us. Now, in the same way, again and again in earlier uh, uh, days, we had um, other experiences, especially in this matter of faith. Uh, now, that would take a whole evening to talk about the whole story of faith. Not just in material matters, but spiritual matters as well. Stepping out. When we gave up collections, uh, all together had nothing more. It was a real step in faith. We had words of wisdom, so-called, from different places to tell us that we were doing very foolish things, that we would suffer and I would starve and uh, the Lord's name would be dishonored and all the rest of it. But we went forward in faith. And my word, how the Lord and the, and the property, every step we took was a step in faith. Now, that wasn't ordinary faith. It was the gift of faith. And it came as we sought the Lord in prayer. The gift of faith, the manifestation of the Spirit was given. And faith was given to step ahead. I could give you story after story on this. But it would take the whole evening. Then take a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Sometimes we were really... Uh, sort of held up on something and we didn't quite know what was wrong and then some dear little soul would come forward after the always after the gathering and saying to us you know that I don't know whether I'm right but I, I feel the Lord been saying to me that um, well um, uh, this and this and this and you know as soon as they said it it was absolutely the explanation the next night we, we could move straight on I was able to say, without embarrassing the person, uh, it seems that this might be the point that's holding us up. Amen, amen, witness, we got on our knees, and forward we went. It was a word of knowledge. Sometimes it was a word of wisdom. That is, not just explanation, but application. What to do. Not just what's wrong, or, or, or why, uh, thing, but what to do. How to go through. Now, all these things operated amongst us long before we knew anything. It is true, we, were, uh, we looked a bit askance at uh, one or two other things, uh, I might say, but there you are. Now, you see, you, you see, this is where in this new moving of the Spirit, we cannot accept some of the things that are laid down in a stereotyped way. Because we recognize that the people of God are one. 
and that often these things, where there's life, where there's death, there's nothing, there's just bondage. But where there's life, even these things, in the people who don't agree with them, in certain extent, are in operation. There's a certain amount. It has to be, because we are an inexplicable community. Our life is a heavenly life. Well, I, I just hope that that's uh, something. Let's go on. Now, let's just have a quick look at 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. This is by no means a dogmatic list of all the gifts, but it sums up in a ninefold way all the many kinds of uh, gifts there are. Now, wisdom, knowledge. Will you notice word of wisdom, word of knowledge? Now, it's not just wisdom in an inward way. It is the speaking out of that knowledge. It is the speaking out of that wisdom. It's a bit more than just knowing inside. Oh, many Christians say, well, you know, I felt that all along. But it's not that. It's the word of knowledge. Utterance. And what is knowledge? Knowledge is explanation, isn't it? Think about that. Explanation. I, I don't know anything about aeronautics. I can't explain them. I don't understand them. But if I understood them, I could perhaps explain them. And a word of knowledge is explanation or definition. Explanation or definition. Now, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is that wisdom is not explanation. It's not definition. Wisdom is application. Now, let me give you a little illustration some of you have heard before. Some years ago, we had some wonderful things, we have all died, but we had some wonderful things, great big things, uh, great big pots of great standard fuchsias. They were magnificent. Been here for years and years and years. And one of them dropped all its leaves. Every time it got all its, its flowers, it suddenly dropped the lot. We couldn't understand it. So we asked, not our brother here, but uh, another botanist at Kew, if he, who was here, would he have a look? Oh, yes, he had a look. And uh, he picked off a leaf and he looked up at it, the sky, and he studied a uh, branch and so on and said, well, it could be this. It might be that. It could be the other. He gave a number of Latin names of various possible diseases and other bugs and viruses. And really, I said to Margaret after he'd gone, well, do you understand any of that? So she said, no, I don't. So we got Mr. Archer, Dan Archer, of the, who was the original of the BBC series, who was, had the market garden. We got him down, and down he came as a great big old country Derbyshire man, just like Archer, of course, and, uh, and the series, and he looked at the tree and he looked and he said, hmm, he said, that needs a dose of Enos. <laughs> so, of course, Margaret and I both, both burst into laughter. You said, oh, we said, Dan, don't, don't joke. We said, we want to know. I think we can't tell the company it needs a dose of Enos. <laughs> it needs a dose of Enos. He said, I'm not joking. He needs a dose of Eno's. Go down the boots, he said, and give it, he said, a spoonful. To... So we did it. The thing that I. <laughs> now, that is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Someone could explain certain things, but they didn't give us any application. We didn't know what to do. The other person not only spotted that there was something wrong, but he said, That's what you must do. That's the remedy. That was wisdom. Wisdom from long, long years of handling the thing in, in the pra practical know-how. Well, now, there are many other things here we've got. We've got uh, faith. I don't think we need to uh, uh, further explain that. We have um, uh, healings. Will you notice that they are in the plural, gifts of healings? So there are evidently different kinds of healing gifts. Uh, will you notice you have workings of miracles or powers? also plural, we have prophecy, and then we have discernings of spirits, again, in the plural. And we have tongues and interpretations. Uh, uh, these are the nine uh, gifts listed here, <laughs> under which, really, many more also can be uh, gathered. Now, this manifestation of the spirit is for the common good. All this is for the common good. 
and uh, they are gifts of Christ that the Holy Spirit expresses, manifests, operates through the members of his body. They are gifts of grace. And I think that needs underlining because many people seem to think that they are given to the elite. They are gifts of grace. That is, just as you received eternal life, so the Holy Spirit is quite prepared to manifest himself in you. You must be a clean vessel, otherwise you bring dishonor to the name of the Lord. But it's grace that is the basis upon which these gifts operate. Now, there is a lot more that one could say, and perhaps ought to say, about the, uh, uh, for instance, the relationship of the manifestation of the Spirit to permanent gifts in the church. Are they the same? For instance, all of us have faith, but evidently there is the special gift of faith. It is quite clear that all can speak in tongues, but there is a gift of tongues and a gift of interpretation. In other words, just because you can speak in tongues, because you, the Lord has given you this gift, does not necessarily mean that that is for the gatherings of the church. Now, that's an important point. We all have faith, and that is the way that we uh, can uh, uh, build up, not only ourselves, but one another in the life of the church. But there are those who have the gift of faith. In the same way you have prophecy, all can prophesy but there are those who are prophets. And so on and so forth. There is one other thing that I think cuts, undercuts a lot of, I think, bondage in this matter. And that is that the manifestation of the Spirit, it seems to me, is something which can uh, come in any given member of the body. It's not something permanent. So we have three things. We have big gifts to the church, prophet, teacher, other, sometimes one with the gift of healing. We have those uh, that may have a gift in a smaller way, but it's, a more, it's permanently located in one sense in them. And we have the manifestation of the Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit at any time in his sovereignty can take a person who never before was prophesied and manifest himself in that way through them. Or can take a person who's never expressed uh, in, in a specific way in faith over a matter and can manifest himself there. Or in tongues, or interpretation. Now this lifts all our meetings out of a rut of thinking that so-and-so's got a particular gift, we must wait on them, or, th- or we're all open to the Lord, just as uh, uh, we would pray. Now, let me go on. Uh, to the next, uh, 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 the next point. What, is the, what can we say about the use of gifts in the gatherings of the church? There are just a few things very swiftly. First, it is to be through the Holy Spirit, through his leadership and enabling alone. Um, now you get this again and again and again. It is the whole stress. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 7, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common uh, good. Uh, Verse 8, it is, again, according to the same Spirit. Verse 9, in the same Spirit, in the one Spirit. Verse 11, but all these work of the one and the same Spirit, dividing to each one severally, even as he will, or distributing to each one uh, uh, individually as he will. Uh, will. So we must remember uh, that these gifts operate through the leadership and enabling of the Holy Spirit alone, which simply means that if we're closed to the Holy Spirit, uh, we shall never know uh, his enabling us in any way uh, uh, in this matter. In just the same way that you can come into a time of prayer and if you're not prepared, you're not open, not ready for the Holy Spirit to prompt you to pray, you won't pray. You can come into an open time and if you're not ready for the Holy Spirit to prompt you to contribute, you won't do so, not even in praise. So we must be open. Now we must remember that um, we are to pray in the Spirit, we are to worship by the Spirit, 
we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Our open times and prayer times are to be led and enabled by the Spirit, using all the members of the body as he will. Now, these gifts, then, are not to take over becoming everything, uh, as it were the supreme objective of our meeting together. They are the equipment which we all need if the purpose of God is to be fulfilled in our day and generation, and in uh, the company here locally. It's as simple as that. I mean, there's a great fear that if once you sort of uh, allow gifts of any kind, they'll simply take over. But it, it, it's just added equipment. It is the equipment we need. Um, for, I mean, example, we need faith. We need specific faith. We, don't, we can't get along just on all our, our uh, faith. We need specific faith. When mountains have got to be moved, we need the manifestation of the Spirit to move the mountain. And we've seen it again and again. There are times when we need an explanation. No amount of biblical knowledge will give us the explanation over a certain matter. We need a word of knowledge. We need a word of wisdom. We need as sometimes the application of how to go forward. We know what we should do, but we don't know how to. <laughs> And we just need that. This is the kind of things we all have to have. I can illustrate again in our case, of course, but I think I've said enough there. But I remember um, a very good instance of this, a dear missionary in Nigeria, you will remember him, Lofty Grimshaw, um, who was held up for some months over his visa and couldn't get back. And they just couldn't understand this holding up. The Lord had told him and his wife to go back to Nigeria, but they were held up. And in the end, in prayer, a, a word of knowledge came. It is a, spi a vexing spirit. That's all. Just like that, it came flashing into his a vexing spirit. And instantly he turned to his wife and said, it's a vexing spirit. And together they bound it. And within two days, visa. All things settled, sorted. That's what... That, that why we need some uh, of these, all of these uh, gifts in operation. They are therefore um, uh, the divinely given helps, resources, equipment to get the job done. Just as we're open to the Lord to lead us to contribute in an open time, to contribute uh, in a prayer time, so we should be open to, uh, the, for the Spirit to use us in these further ways. Now let me give you a few examples. Take a prayer time. Just supposing that in a prayer time there was a terrible oppression or heaviness. We all feel it. No one knows why. Now what happens so often is when a time like that comes down, if it's not shifted it can stay and travel on into everything else. What do we do about such a time? What so often happens is that everyone starts to argue with everybody else or inwardly to blame people. We blame the people who are leading the time. We blame so-and-so or so-and-so or we think so-and-so's uh, grieving the Lord or grieving the Spirit. When in actual fact it can be, it can be uh, an oppression of the enemy. He knows there's some point in that time a prayer that could be touched and he's coming with all his big guns. Now, when someone quietly in a time of prayer has this on their heart and knows, now, this is, we, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. And we need to, we need to plead the blood of Christ. If they quietly just said, the enemy is trying to strangle this time of prayer, and we need to plead the blood of Christ. It's a word of wisdom. If the company rises to it, and takes the blood of Christ, you find that that oppression has gone. Equipment has been used, the thing's been broken. Now, we can take this in all other kinds of ways. Uh, 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 I think, uh, for instance, of a matter settled in heaven. Here we are praying for certain things. Someone, as we're praying, not in a silly way, but feels in their heart, this matter settled. I know it. I know it. And they have faith. They can't pray anymore. So they say, praise the Lord, this matter's settled. Now, you can be sure that there were other people, the spirit in them will witness to that. And instantly, um, there is, as it were, in, 
in, in a matter, there's a, ma uh, it, there's a sense that the thing is settled. It's done. It's not left open. It's not left uh, uh, sort of open-ended. It's finished. It's done. And there are many other ways I feel we, we, uh, I could give examples. Bible study, sometimes I think when God particularly speaks to us about something, well, uh, it's certainly not out of place if there was some word of prophecy there, when and as the Lord uh, uh, should want uh, so to use, and in evangelistic times as well, uh, if only we were open, especially in uh, uh, counseling and caring for people, how much we've found it in our times of counselling, both on Monday evenings and on Sunday uh, 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 times after the gathering. Another point in this matter, the use of gifts has to be through faith. Now, I think this is a very important point. Faith is the springboard of all that is of God. All that is of God. Feeling, emotion, can be dangerous because often it is open to many other sources than God. For example, um, it can be just the person themselves. They suddenly um, feel uh, disturbed or excited by the atmosphere of the meeting. It's nothing to do with the, the spirit. And they break forth. It can be just themselves. Sometimes it's mixture. Soul and spirit mixed up together. And then there's trouble. Sometimes uh, it can be even open to satanic counterfeit. And in nearly all cases, where Satan starts to counterfeit gifts, it has been along this line. Feeling and emotions have become the basis for the operation of these uh, gifts. Now, faith is the basis upon which all these gifts operate. We have to learn by experience to assess when it is the spirit and when it is merely ourselves. Because emotion's not wrong. I hope you all understand that. And to be moved by a meeting or a gathering or to sense that the Lord is there uh, and, uh, and the power of the Lord is there, that's not one. We have, to, we have to learn to assess when it is mere emotion in us and when it really is the Lord. And you will always be helped if you remember that faith is the springboard for all that is of God. Now note just carefully the scriptures in this connection. Romans 12, Romans 12, <coughs> verse 3 and 6. For I say through the grace that was given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to each man a measure of faith. Now verse 6. And having gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. And then he goes to a list of other things, which is all the same, according to the proportion of our faith. Now, what does that mean? It means simply this. I would be very careful of anybody who is 1,000% certain that they have a prophecy. Very careful. Because it has been my experience, and I know it's the experience of many others that I greatly respect in this, that whenever you, um, for instance, prophesy, it is deliberately by faith. You know you may have something good, but you've got doubts. Something says, oh, they won't accept it. You think, no, 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 it's all you, it's you. Supposing you just pack up halfway through. Supposing you look a fool, wouldn't it be terrible? You of all people, if you started and then dried up, oh, 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 then you stop. Now, what's it going to be? Faith or feeling? Now, when you move ahead in faith, you can be sure you're safe. And when you remember this, dear child of God, you will remember that's how you prayed. In your early days, before you began to know the Lord in such a way that you step forward in faith, it becomes like breathing. <laughs> You don't think about it. Um, when you first used to pray, didn't you have to pray in faith? Didn't the devil used to say to you, don't you dare pray. You're not in the spirit. You're not old enough. And anyway, if you do, you'll collapse in a heap and the whole company will be horrified. Same with any other contribution. Oh, God, the devil is speaking. But how did we come through? Never by feeling. We came through by faith. 
We knew we'd got to pray, and in the end we took a step in deliberate faith, and we prayed. You must do this in the exercise of gifts. You'll always be safe in this matter when you do this. Now this is so, if you look in other scriptures, if we ever get these notes, you'll find that they're all there. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 5 is the same thing. It says, he that uh, distributes the Holy Spirit, this is God, does he do it uh, by the works of law, people keeping the law, or does he do it by the hearing of faith? And when he does miracles amongst you, does he do it by works of law or by the hearing of faith? Now, isn't that interesting? Every time a miracle is performed in our midst, it's through faith in the person who operates it. That's marvellous. I remember Willie Burton saying to me again and again, I felt as dead as doornail sometimes when I laid hands on some people, and amazing things happened. And the marvellous occasion when he was, he was being carried into a plane on a stretcher to go to the hospital for a major operation. This man had been used to heal, he said, 1,000 incurable cases, he told me. And they brought a man to him as he was being taken into the plane. And they, and they said, Buana, Buana, lay your hands on this man. He was half dead. Yes, he said, he said to the stretcher bearer, stop. And he put his hands over and prayed. This man had an open cancerous ulcer on his leg. And as he prayed for it, it disappeared. And stretch, one of the stretcher bearers was saved. And Burton told us that sitting out in the garden. You see, the point was, he couldn't explain his own condition. Of course, there was a marvellous sequel to that which we can't go into now. And I think you all heard it. He said it on the platform about his big operation and what happened. But uh, the, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, wasn't it a, wasn't it a triumph? Couldn't you think that servant of the Lord said, well, lay my hands on you, I need it myself. <laughs> no good laying hands on you. But he did it in faith. What faith was required for a man who was himself going in to have an operation to lay hands on someone else with an ulcer on his leg that was so big and smelly? Faith. These things are operated because of faith, not feeling. So people have got this idea, which unfortunately has been put over to us uh, by some, uh, and very unfortunately, that you tremble with power. It's faith. This other thing is something to be careful of. Sometimes it's true. Often it's not. We must be very careful of it. Just as we pray in faith, preach in faith, advance in faith, appropriate by faith, so the manifestation of the Spirit, through whom he will, has to be by faith in that one. Now, there are just some points in this connection. A great disservice has been done to this whole matter of the manifestation of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit by the kind of sensational and overdramatic use of some of the gifts. So much so that people, many dear people are terrified. And that's the wonderful thing about the new moving of the Spirit of God. In so many instances, it's so natural, so normal, so quiet. Uh, I've been in places where I've heard people shriek tongues. And when I've asked, why doesn't someone correct that person? I've been told, well, it's the power of God in them. Well, I don't call it the power of God at all. I would—it was a kind of possession. I mean, it was not tongues at all. It was a dreadful thing, and a terrible death came over the whole meeting because it was the devil. And they themselves said to me, "Whatever happened to the meeting?" You get this often theatrical way of doing things. Oh, the Lord. And of course, everyone sort of thinks, oh dear, is that what prophecy is, you see? It has to be, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> But I mean, it doesn't have to be. Do you know when, when Isaiah spoke? He spoke in contemporary language. He simply said, the Lord said. Or sometimes he didn't even say that, he just said. Fear not, or something else. Great disservice has been done to the use of gifts, the exercise of gifts, by this kind of overdramatic, theatrical way. So that people have got a great fear about it. And they say, well, what's it? and then we're told that this is power. It's not power. 
real power is that God manifests himself in you. And you are you. And God is God. It's fire in the old form. So remember this. Secondly, all gifts can be exercised quite normally and naturally. I remember David Duplessis being asked, why would when some people um, exercise gifts, uh, do they shake so? And he said, because they like to. <laughs> I've never forgotten David Duplessis on this matter. <laughs> the fact is that you, you can exercise, all gifts can be exercised quite normally and naturally. There's no need for this other uh, uh, business at all. Do get this into your head. You can speak quite normally to one another. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was quite that way. Algebus came up to Paul, put his hand on him, bound it, and said, this is what the Lord says to you. Quite normal. The action wasn't normal. But he and his whole manner was normal. So I think that we must remember this. Gifts at all times are under the control of the person and subject to discipline. Now 1 Corinthians 14 and verse... Um, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 32. The spirits of the, sub of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now that means your own spirit is under your control. It's never out of control. Never out of control. That's a very important point. And then again, you've got it in verse 28, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church uh, and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, that means that that gift of tongues, which is, by the way, the most inspired. Now, when I say the most inspired, I mean it is the, the, the gift that is most suddenly inspired of all the uh, spiritual gifts. Now, even that gift, which by its very nature is a sudden inspiration, um, uh, is to be uh, under the control of the one who gives it. Now, this again is a very important point. There is never suspension of the mind, even when one cannot understand one's own words. May I make this point and make it very, very strongly? Uh, the inspiration and um, a manifestation of the Spirit is totally different in the Old Testament, New Testament, and in all things truly of God, is totally different to the pagan uh, and spiritist, heathen way of doing it. Now, the heathen and spiritist way of, do, of doing these things is suspension of the mind and possession by another person. This is never the case when the Spirit of God inspires a person. Now, I cannot be more emphatic in this matter. And you will find it in 1 uh, Peter, uh, chapter um, 1, verse um, 10 and 11. This message given by Lance Lambert is continued on tape number two in this series, Life in the Local Church, Spiritual Gifts, Part Two.